Well, we're all spending a lot more time in virtual spaces, and that's likely to continue well into our future, even as we might be slowly moving back towards more in-person meetings and classes. But virtual spaces aren't void of harassment. We're finding that, indeed, harassment can show up in these spaces of learning and working just like in person. And here to define and talk about virtual harassment with us are Lydia Weiss. She's from uh, Michigan State University's Prevention, Outreach, and Education Department. And Erin Martin is with the Office of Institutional Equity. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. One of you, would you like to define, first of all, what are we talking about when we say virtual harassment sort of frame the issue and how does it manifest itself? Sure. I think when we're talking about virtual harassment, we're looking at willful and or repeated harm inflicted through the use of electronic tools. And these are tools that we use really every day in our everyday lives. But now that we are working primarily remotely, we may be using them um, more than we had before. Um, When OIE is looking at harassment and what is harassment, either in person or in this new virtual environment, we're looking at really two types of harassment. And that's going to be harassment that's going to be discriminatory in nature. Um, That would be harassment that is against somebody because of their um, age, color, gender, gender identity, disability status, height, marital status, national origin, political persuasion, race, religion, sexual orientation, veteran status, or weight. Um, All of harassment that would be based on these classes is handled in our office under what we call the anti-discrimination policy. So that's kind of one umbrella of harassment that we may see in these virtual spaces. The second group of harassment that we may see would fall under what we would consider relationship violence or sexual misconduct. And that's going to be loosely (laughs) defined as unwelcome sexual advances, um, requests for sexual favors, or other unwelcome behavior of a sexual nature. Obviously, the university policy that addresses relationship violence and sexual misconduct expands on this basic definition about um, examples of sexual harassment and when it violates the policy for university purposes. But in general, in these virtual spaces, we acknowledge that even though we are not face-to-face, we are still having situations where harassment occurs. And typically that harassment, or usually that harassment, can be placed under one of those groups. And how does it differ virtual harassment from social media harassment? Well, I think in a lot of ways, they can can intersect in some ways. Um, But virtual harassment in this new learning environment for the university, we are essentially letting people into our most private spaces, right? We're, We're letting people into the environments where we feel the most secure and the most safe. And it brings a new level of what could be vulnerability, um, accessibility that could be used in a negative manner. And so when we're talking about virtual harassment, we're talking about people using this new relationship, this new environment um, in a negative way. So what are some strategies to uh, combat it then? So some of the strategies, I'll kind of add to you, when we're talking about the difference between uh, virtual harassment and and social media types of harassment, like like Erin said, they are intersecting 
Um, but what we're doing, so a part of why we're talking with you today, Russ, is about um, an educational campaign that we, we are launching um, this week, actually, around virtual harassment to do some of that education um, to make sure people understand kind of the nuances behind virtual harassment and why it's so important to be thinking about this as a type of, of harassment. Um, so really, we're looking, when we're talking about virtual harassment today, uh, we're really talking about kind of those interpersonal relationships, right? So these are spaces when we're gathering together in these virtual spaces, um, kind of outside of the social media. Again, social media can, can play a role in this type of harassment, um, but we're thinking also about, you know, when we're in virtual classrooms, when we're in virtual meetings, um, where are we intersecting with each other in a remote way um, that's replacing some type of in-person, uh, you know, interaction. Um, so I just wanted to kind of talk about that too and how these things can, can play together. Um, but then when we're looking at what are some of the, the intervention strategies, um, it can look a lot of different ways. So we can, we can talk more about what virtual harassment uh, looks like, but I'll just tell a quick story too. Um, so several weeks ago, Aaron and I were having a conversation um, about this new reality of just spending more time in virtual spaces. Then because you know of our position, so being in Poe and OIE, our conversation quickly turned to concern about virtual harassment and you know this realization that some people might not even realize that virtual harassment is something that you can report to the university or even get support around. You know, there's lots of resources that can support folks who might be experiencing or witnessing a virtual harassment. So when Aaron and I were originally talking, you know, Zoom bombing was kind of just starting to get a lot of attention across the nation, right? Um, but then we started digging a little bit deeper and Aaron and I started talking about other forms of harassment that are likely to start showing up in this new virtual existence and the need for that education about how to address these issues. Um, so then at that same time, there happened to be all of these other conversations happening at other levels of the university. Um, so a team of people from various units, you know, including Poe and OIE and IT services, Office of the Ombudsperson, and many others were pulled together to develop an educational campaign about virtual harassment, uh, which we're lovingly calling the Spartan Spaces campaign. How do we recognize it and what do we do about it? Yeah, so um, sometimes recognizing it, and I'll, I'll let Aaron talk a little bit about that too, but um, recognizing it can be part of the first step is even recognizing that virtual harassment is happening, um, especially in those spaces where you're in a classroom with a bunch of people or it's a large staff meeting kind of a thing. Um, but in Poe, one of the, the things that we do is bystander intervention training. And so that actually translates into these virtual spaces as well. So I'll just give some like quick tips on some of the, virtu or the virtual bystander intervention. Um, but we want to have a, a caveat that it kind of depends on your position, um, what your responsibility is in that space. So for instance, if you're an instructor or a faculty member in a classroom, it's important to set expectations for virtual spaces first. Okay, that's kind of the first step for prevention work. Um, so, you know, what are the expe expectations for how we interact in this space? So, for example, you know, are people able to private chat one another? You know, that's a space where these private interactions might um, lead to some virtual harassment. Um, are you requiring the use of video? So that can make some people feel safer and some people feel more unsafe. So kind of weighing those as one of the expectations. Um, but really it's ultimately about how are we fostering community and respect in these virtual classrooms? So that's kind of one example. 
Um, but then also like, do your, your students know what they can do if they're experiencing or witnessing virtual harassment in this space, right? Like, do they know that they can come to you to talk about something that might've made them uncomfortable in the classroom? And how are you going to address it as a community in that space, right? But then on the flip side of that, if you're a student in the classroom, ultimately you have potentially less power in that space. Um, so your responsibility is very different than that of a faculty member or instructor. So therefore the intervention likely will look different, okay? So how to do bystander intervention online? Um, that's actually part two of the video series, the campaign that we're launching, which hopefully will come out um, towards the end of July. Um, but just to get us started and some, some quick tips, um, the, the way that we teach it in prevention, outreach, and education is the three Ds of bystander intervention. So that's direct, distract, and delegate. So I'll just give you a few examples. So a direct method of bystander intervention in a virtual space. So if you're directly intervening in a situation as an active bystander, um, say you're in a virtual staff meeting, right? And someone says something inappropriate. A direct method would be you actually just saying to that person, I'm not comfortable with that phrase you just used, for example. Or you could privately message that person and say, you know, using that term is not okay. And I appreciate you not using it again. So those are a couple of examples about a direct kind of intervention. The second is distract. So this is a tactic that can be used to de-escalate a situation um, that might feel a little bit more low risk than other types of intervention. So say we're in that same staff meeting, a distract method might be unmuting yourself during a tense moment. So for example, two people are vehemently debating about a sensitive or political matter um, or when someone says something offensive, to unmute yourself and just say, y'all, I just spilled my coffee all over. I'll be right back, right? So it's a kind of a silly intervention, um, but it can distract the situation just enough to kind of de-escalate in that moment, okay? And then the third one um, is that delegate. So this is what I, what I like to refer to as the phone a friend intervention method. Um, so sometimes we want to intervene, but we just don't know how to do it or aren't in a position to do it effectively um, or in a way that might feel safe for us. So delegate is when you're asking someone else to help you intervene. So this might mean asking a colleague or a peer um, through a private message uh, to help you address the issue in a direct way. Or you could also ask a supervisor to help intervene um, if you don't feel comfortable doing it yourself. So if you're say a student, it might mean telling a professor that you were uncomfortable and to please talk to the person who um, said the offensive remark or is um, exhibiting harassing behavior. Um, so when I'm also just like kind of the last piece about bystander intervention um, is that sometimes we don't intervene because we don't know what to do, right? A lot of us freeze in those situations um, or, you know, the bystander effect is when there's other people around, we assume someone else will handle it right? That's okay, right? That's a normal reaction um, to intervening. So when we're talking about bystander intervention, these are tools that take practice. Um, they take some knowledge, some uh, practice throughout time to get comfortable with them. Um, but it's also okay not to intervene, right? We might not feel comfortable or safe to do so. So you also ultimately have to do what's right for you. Um, so again, there are a lot of ways to intervene. Um, it often depends on the situation. Uh, but the second part of the, the video campaign will really go into in depth about the different uh, tools that are available to the different kinds of 
roles and responsibilities that we have at the university. And Erin, you must want to add something. I, I do, I do. Um, I think that what Lydia said is spot on. And I just want to expand a little bit and say that I think sometimes um, maybe one of the reasons we don't intervene is we don't always recognize behavior as harassing behavior. And I love that she used the example um, that someone used a language they didn't like in one of these virtual spaces. Sometimes I think we get caught up on the most dramatic forms of harassment. And like Lydia said, we first started having this conversation when these Zoom bombings were occurring and they were really intense and graphic and disturbing. But harassment in these spaces can be much more subtle as well. And it can be as small as aggressively interrupting people during meetings, talking over people in meetings. It can be using language that's inappropriate or offensive. Um, so it really has a a large or wide range of ways it can manifest. And at OIE, we think it is in everyone's best interest and in the community's best interest to report anything that feels uncomfortable, that feels off, that you think may be harassment. Um, we would rather have reports come in that we have to analyze whether or not they're appropriate to take further than people be fearful to make reports or um, think, oh, I know harassment and that's not harassment, so I'm not going to report it. We would really rather have anything that comes in that feels uncomfortable and let us take it from there. Well, let me ask you both for a, a good resource you can direct people to to learn more about virtual harassment. And then what do you want to both leave us with to think about this topic? Yeah, so I'll, I'll let Aaron talk more about um, how someone can report if they if they choose to do that. Um, but there are lots of, of resources um, for support, right? So some of the confidential resources on campus and in our community, um, and, and those are available to folks who witness uh, this type of harassment and also for those who've experienced harassment. Um, so on the Prevention, Outreach, and Education Department, we've created a web page that's dedicated to virtual harassment resources. Um, so that's poe.msu.edu slash resources. There's a, a bunch of resources listed there. Um, but I want to highlight four of the resources that are available right through Michigan State University. Um, so the Center for Survivors, MSU Safe Place, Employee Assistance Program, and Counseling and Psychiatric Services. So those four are um, confidential and free resources that are available uh, to support folks with these and many other topics, right? Um, and then there's lots of other uh, support services um, and specific identity-specific resources and support units at Michigan State that are also listed on that resources page. And Lydia, before Erin, uh, just to summarize again what you want us to know about virtual harassment moving forward. Um, I think the, the thing that I want folks to, to know about virtual harassment is that it, it has a big impact, right? Just because we're not in person doesn't mean that it doesn't have a huge impact. Um, virtual harassment is a serious issue, um, and there is support and, and resources available to you. Now, Erin, a favorite resource, or maybe it's the same as Lydia's, and just uh, leave us with some final thoughts on virtual harassment. Sure. I think the resources that Lydia gave are fantastic. They're all really great community partners that offer a lot of great resources for uh, community members. I guess from OIE, our perspective would be um, that we ask that people report because we understand that Harassment is 
impactful and serious, whether it's in a physical space or in a virtual space. Uh, we try to make reporting as easy as possible. You can do it um, online, submitting a public, public incident reporting form. Um, that's on the OIE webpage. There's a direct link to there. You can do it directly through email at OIE at msu.edu. You can do it through telephone, um, or you can come in person to our office when we do eventually um, get back on campus at Olds Hall and make a report then. Reports um, can be anonymous. It, it's useful for us to get as much information as we can from the reporter, including identification. Um, but if you're uncomfortable leaving your identification or contact information, you can report anonymously. And we just ask that um, people be aware that our reports for OIE are not monitored outside of business hours. So if behavior is time sensitive or severe, if you're witnessing something that is severe enough, we ask that you report it directly to MSUPD or 911. Um, obviously they are gonna be accessible at times that we are not. So kind of in closing, I just think it's important for the campus and the community to understand that Harassment doesn't stop just because we're not in physical spaces. It can just look different. And it's still something that um, the university is committed to address and make sure people are feeling supported. So we ask that people report so that we implement those services and make sure that the behaviors are addressed. Well, thank you both for telling us more about virtual harassment on MSU today. That was Lydia Weiss from... Michigan State University's Prevention, Outreach, and Education Department, and Erin Martin from the Office of Institutional Equity, and I'm Russ White for MSU Today.